Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the awesome opportunity you've given us to gather as your family in your house and to study your word. Help us now as we do that, to get into it, to understand it, apply it in the right way, build our faith and trust in you and your word. Thank you once again as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of James. We see here in James chapter 3, where he says, My brethren. So you know he's addressing this to his brethren, speaking of the Christians. He focused primarily on the Jews that he had sent this out to, but this goes to all Christians. As he reads, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Now this masters is not talking about somebody who has slaves working for them. This masters is talking about teachers, guides, people that are in the ministry, the the preachers, the teachers, the evangelists, the missionaries. He's talking about when you take on the task of being a Christian leader, it comes with a lot of responsibility, and as he points out here, accountability as well. Read that again. My brethren, be not many masters. The caution going out. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, a closer judgment, a closer scrutiny upon how a leader, a teacher, a guide of any sort when it comes to the Word of God and the ministry is going to be held at a higher level of accountability. Closer look at what they have done, every word that they have said, every action that they've taken, and be receiving the greater condemnation. Verse 2, For in many things we offend all. You're always going to offend somebody. When you're out there spreading the gospel and teaching the word and helping people, sometimes they don't want to help. They don't want to hear it. They get offended. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among all members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therefore, excuse me, before I go any further there. So he's clearly pointing out the power and influence of the tongue, speaking of the spoken word, how much impact it can have on someone. 
And he's focusing here, it seems, primarily on the damage that someone can do with what they say. As he continues, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Meekness and wisdom. Meekness, when we see that in the New Testament, most of the time it's speaking of a power that is under control. When you have true meekness, you recognize the power of influence that you have and you have it under control. And that can come through wisdom, meekness of wisdom. When you have the wisdom, then you know how to keep yourself under control, to how, how to keep from offending someone. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. The wisdom here he's talking about is the strife, the understanding how to cause trouble, to stir up trouble, to create strife, to offend someone and using it for your own selfish gain or for your own satisfaction that you happen to irk somebody by saying something and you have a sense of satisfaction because you were able to do that. That's why he's saying it's devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. When you recognize the valuable wisdom, the true wisdom that comes from the Lord, then you will have these fruits of righteousness. Verse 18, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When you can take that wisdom that the Lord can bless you with, and you can create peace, when you can create a calmness, when you can create a setting of kindness and goodness. As he says there, these fruits of righteousness that can be displayed and multiplied when you pass it on to someone else as well and teach them those same methods. But as he first cautioned there, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You must realize that before going into any level of service in the ministry. That the higher level of accountability. All right, now roll on into chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even 
as your lust that war in your members? Fightings among you. Who's he speaking of? He's speaking of the brethren. He's talking about church members. He's talking about supposedly born-again Christians. He's talking about those that are part of the family that fight and squabble. They have jealousies. They have envyings. They have covetousness. They see someone receiving a blessing or a benefit from their work and they themselves might not have seen such a reward. They get jealous. And they, it results in them saying bad things or trying to find something bad about someone to spread around. To, it shouldn't be such way. Verse 2, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Notice, the Lord tells us over and over to ask and it should be given us. When we're asking in the right way, when we're asking within the will of the Lord, when we're asking, as he says, not amiss. You've got to ask it for the right reasons. Here he's pointing out that the reason that this issue he's speaking of here, they don't receive what they want is because they wanted it for their selfish gain, for themselves, not to benefit others or the kingdom or the ministry. No, it was for their own selfish gains. And that's where the lustful desires comes in there. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now this adulterers and adulteresses is not just speaking about relationships with your spouse. This is talking about your devotion to the Lord and then seeking things outside of the Lord, even to the point of worshiping things or lifting things up higher in value than serving the Lord and pleasing the Lord, such as your own selfish gain, your own lustful desires being fulfilled. That makes you a adulterer and an adulteress in the eyes of God in that sense, not just speaking of relationship with your spouse. It goes beyond that. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, that desire to envy, that, that envious of someone else leads to that covetousness. But he giveth more grace... Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. See, pride's another big part of it. You have pastors that are in the ministry that are so puffed up with pride because of what they think they have achieved in the ministry of their own, rather than giving honor and glory to the Lord. And then that pride results in the wrong heart, that Lustful desire is being fulfilled. That adulterer, adulterous attitude is rising up. That they are serving themselves more than serving the Lord. And that can come in from pride. You see, lots of people fall into that tra trap of pride when they get into the ministry, and they might have a ministry that winds up having a, a great fruit. And then they start thinking it is because of them rather than the Lord. 
Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. That's one of the keys, to totally be submissive to the Lord. When you just come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm a hunk of clay in your hands. Mold me in whatever you would have me to be. Not when you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want this, I want that, I want to do this, I'm going to do that, and I, 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 me, me, me. Wrong attitude. But you see that a lot in people. shouldn't be that way. We're to submit ourselves. Or here, Lord, your will be done. Not my will be done, but your will be done in my life. But this happens to most everybody who gets into the ministry, especially early on. When they get the idea or the concept that they want to get into the ministry, they start planning their whole idea of what they want to achieve in the ministry. And they seek to do that. Rather than coming in humbly and saying, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? Which is what we're supposed to do. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That second part is an awesome part there about resisting the devil. He's always coming at the Christians. But the Christians have the authority over the devil. We resist him. We turn him down. We, we do that. He has to flee. He cannot indwell us. He can indwell the the lost, yes, but Satan cannot indwell a Christian. Can a Christian team back up with Satan? Invite him to hang around? Sure, easily. They do it a lot. Shouldn't be that way. But if you resist the devil, he will flee. He doesn't have that attachment. You are the one that are choose to attach to him. Whereas prior to being saved, he had power to attach himself to you. Now he does not have that power. It's all up to the Christian to resist the devil and he will flee from him. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you or close. The closer you draw to God, the closer you have that relationship. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. He's talking to these brethren. He's talking to the fellow Christians. And he's calling them sinners because they have failed. They have erred in their ways. They need to get it right. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. See, that's part of the key there, being double-minded. When a person comes and devotes themselves totally and fully to the Lord, they are single-minded to serve the Lord. But when they come in and they just want to add serving the Lord to their agenda or to their list of things that they want to achieve in their lives, and primarily is speaking of themselves, selfish desires, self, self, self all over, the I, 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 me, me, me attitude, then you're double-minded. You're either focusing on yourself or you're focusing on God. You've got to focus on God. Then you're not double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. This is talking about to really look at what you have done wrong and to mourn about that, to regret the error of your ways, to turn away from that, to be convicted of your sins is what he's speaking of here. Turn away from that. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, 
and he shall lift you up. Go back up to that. Submit yourselves. Humbly come to the Lord and submit. He's going to lift us up by his power, his might, be in his will. Speak not evil one of another. Brethren. Notice, once again, pointing out, he's talking to the brethren. Just like he spoke of there earlier about the tongue and the power of the tongue. About how talking about someone else, envying them, and then saying something bad about them. Trying to mess up their ministry or their lives. To try to lift yourselves up in such a way. That's wrong. Shouldn't be doing such a thing. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Pointing out specifically, Christians talking bad about other Christians. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. This is the, the term judge here being talking about condemnation. When you try to condemn someone else for what you think they should be condemned for, then you're trying to make yourself a judge. Can't do it. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Of course, that's Jesus Christ. Who art thou that judgest another? So how can you think that you can step up and take that position? Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Now here in verse 13, he's getting into another subject matter. Here it's talking about how you get so puffed up with pride, arrogance, that you have achieved so much of your power, your doings, and you have all these plans laid out, and you have your whole life planned out ahead of you, and you've got it all figured out exactly what you're going to do, how it's going to work out, and you start going down that path. Here's a go-to now, ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. We have to recognize the importance of the here and now and yield to the will of the Lord for what tomorrow will hold. Now, this is not saying don't make any plans. This is saying don't have confidence in those plans being fulfilled exactly like you desire them to be fulfilled because you don't know if you're even going to be here. Because our life is but a vapor. The rapture might occur before we even get out of here today. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We hope for what's going to happen. We're looking forward to, we can plan and have a strategy when we listen to the guidance of the Lord and find out what His will for us is. Plan for tomorrow in the proper way but not with such a way that you have this arrogant confidence that you know that's what's going to happen. As he pointed out back up in 13, 
Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Notice, you have the plans. You have it laid out. And you address and acknowledge and humble yourself and submit yourself saying, Lord willing, this is what we're going to do. So he's not trying to teach us here to stay away from making plans. No, he's trying to teach us here, make your plans submitting to the will of the Lord. Then you've got the right attitude. Read 15 again. That's where he really wraps it up. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. So always acknowledging that. Make your plans. Have it all laid out. Work it. Yes, no problem that. But always in the will of the Lord. Lifting your Lord up higher than yourself. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know what you're supposed to do as a Christian? When you do it not, that's a sin. Don't be bragging about what you've achieved and boasting about what you're going to achieve based on what you think is going to happen because that's your will. You've got to get yourself out of the way and lift up the Lord. Don't be double-minded. Roll right into chapter 5. Go to now, ye rich men. Now here he's talking about rich men, women, people that have gotten gain in an unrighteous way that had cheated people that are not godly. You have wealthy, godly people. We have examples of that where the Lord blessed people abundantly. They were rich, very wealthy, but they were given God all the glory for it, all the honor for it. And here in chapter 5, he's addressing those that have gotten gain by cheating others. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure to gather for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Point out here, how he's cheated those that was working for him. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doeth not resist you. Be patient therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receiveth the early and the latter rain. When you do the work of the Lord, when you are a husband, husbandman, which means a worker, 
like a worker in the field, plants the crops, waits for it. He waits for it to harvest. Not to cheat, not to step up. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Wait for the proper time to receive the blessings. Verse 9, grudge not one against another. Going back to that jealousy and that envy, which results in the strife and the division. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. We have the Word of God preserved for us. We can look back at the lives of the prophets. We can look back at the lives of of so many people recorded in here for us to learn, to learn the patience, to learn the blessings that come to them as a result of their patience. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. At the end of the book of Job, if you go back and study that, you can see he was blessed multiple times over, way more than what he had before that horrible challenge of affliction that came upon him. Verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Before we go into verse 13, let's look at this swearing. If you've ever been to court, and been a witness. You've heard them say, do you swear or affirm? They put the affirm in there for those that are Christians that they can say, I affirm. That means I am saying the truth. Instead of swearing, they put your hand on the Bible or whatever. Do you swear by the Bible? you swear by the Lord? We're not supposed to do such a thing. But you can affirm. That's what he's saying here. Your yea is yea, your nay is nay. You affirm. You don't swear. The Lord taught us this in the Gospels as well. Now in verse 13 here, he gets into another subject of healing. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. That's why we have our prayer sessions where we lay our hands on individuals that need prayer. We anoint them with the oil, the frankincense and myrrh, a little drop of that, and you dab it on the forehead, just going through this ritual that he's pointing out here. reads, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. See, he's extending this forgiveness and this affliction that he's talking about there right from the beginning of beyond physical healing that someone needs, but the spiritual healing that someone needs. When they come up and ask for prayer 
a spiritual healing, they have faced some kind of a challenge and they feel like they may be failing in that. They may have sinned and they want forgiveness. When you come up and ask for that kind of healing, that's what he's referring to here about getting that forgiveness of such a... Because that process of going through that shows the repentance of that individual that wants such a prayer. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now this confessing your faults one to another isn't that you go around telling everybody your faults, your sins, what you've done wrong. No. This is talking about when you have sinned against an individual, you go to them and you confess to them, I am sorry I said that or I did that, will you forgive me? That's specifically what he's talking about. This is not talking about, oh, go sit down somewhere and just bring up all your sins and tell somebody else all your sins. No, just the ones that you have sinned against them. You do not profess your sins. You do not verbally express the sins that are hidden, that are in you, the sinful desires, the sinful lust. You do not verbalize them because when you verbalize them, the devil uses that against you. Other people will use that against you. Over and over the rest of your life, it will be used against you. So do not such a thing. You confess your sins to the Lord. You pray in such a way to the Lord when you're confessing your lustful desires and your sins that are within you that have not been revealed yet. You keep them quiet. You pray them to the Lord silently so that he can take care of those and not give them over to Satan. Because Satan cannot hear your mind. Satan cannot read your thoughts. A sinner, yes, but not a Christian. Once you're born again, the Holy Ghost is in there, Satan cannot come back in there. You can invite him to come on in, you can tell him a whole bunch of stuff, and you can expose a lot of stuff to him, but he cannot of his own will and power do that. So be careful how you confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit just given an example of power of prayer from the old testament brethren if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him that means when you help a brother or sister get back in line in walking on the straight and narrow, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Talking about your accomplishment, when you help someone come to the Lord, when you help someone to get forgiveness, when you help guide someone to become a Christian or to get forgiveness for sinning if they were already a Christian, that's accounted to you for rewards. And be acknowledged that you have really helped someone. And it's going to make a difference for you. Eternity. Alright, that finishes up the book of James. So let's go ahead and close. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for the many, many things that we can learn when we get into your word. No matter what the subject is, we can go right back into there and find the guidance that we need. Help us to realize that. Help us always stay hungry to dig deep in there to find that message and apply it properly and to share it with others. Thank you once again as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.